squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his feet, knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the, pil the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus. He did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapoli how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. 
and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I too will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, to her, knowing what had happened, fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why is all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. At this, they were completely finished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks, heaps, Yashi. That was a, an epic reading, but much appreciated. And so helpful to have it all out there uh, together in one big reading. Friends, for that reason, I'd really encourage you, if you've got a, a Bible there, do keep it open uh, as we work through this together. I wonder, as we read that big slab of Mark's Gospel, I wonder if you realise that there's what was meant a whole bunch of different people. They all had one thing in common. Did you notice what was in common across all of those stories? Fear. You know, in the whole book of Mark, if you look for words like fear, afraid, terrified, he only uses those words a couple of times except for here because it seems like there's fear in almost every sentence and if we're honest we all have fears in life it's something that we can relate to I think sometimes they're the big moments of fear Jane gave us that really vivid experience of picturing life uh, sorry picturing the storm and the sea maybe it's an event that is truly terrifying at other points it's the fear of loss like Jairus who we've just met who feared the loss of his dear daughter and for all of us, in less dramatic ways, there's, there's those slow burn background fears and anxieties that 
shape the way that we think and, and the decisions that we make. We know, we know about fear. Now, if you were to ask me about the one occasion when I have felt most terrified in my life, I would have to tell you about the embarrassing story of the time that I was charged down by a mad, crazy calf. It was while I was still at uni, a med student doing a placement in rural Victoria, went out for a jog before work, taking a scenic route through a neighbouring paddock when this calf wanders over to say hi. And I'm I'm cool with that because calves are cute, right? That's okay. Until this crazy beast just starts charging at me and all of a sudden it dawns on me that cute though it is, this calf is probably well over twice my body weight, capable of doing who knows what kind of damage and all of a sudden I feel incredibly exposed and my heart starts racing. Isn't it amazing the way fear just has all of this involuntary response Aside from what we're consciously thinking through, I haven't got a clue about calves or cows and how to stop them charging and my adrenaline is pumping and I I scramble to the only shelter that I can see for miles around. It's this scrawny tree in the middle of the paddock and I am literally in the middle of the paddock because I suddenly realise it's the same distance that way to one fence and that way to the other fence but for the moment I can breathe because the calf is on the other side of the tree but I can see the sinister look in her eyes. My med student in anatomy has enabled me to work out this isn't a bull This is a she-cow, and that should cause me to relax, right? Okay, less testosterone pumping through those veins. But actually, it just introduced another kind of fear called embarrassment because suddenly it dawned on me that over my shoulder, Farmer Joe is probably laughing his socks off at the top of the hill looking at this city boy down here who's freaking out with this calf chasing him. But let's I, I need to be honest with you. I think it is genuinely the most terrified I've felt in life, quite irrationally. I had to summon my my courage, my life in my hands, my dignity in my hands, make this crazy dash to the fence before the cow could catch up with me. What I realised when I got to the fence was that she'd lost interest about three three metres the other side of the tree. But probably is something of a tragic reflection of just how sheltered my life is, that that is when I think about my scary moments right at the top of them. But we've just read about a whole bunch of people and their fears as they come in contact with the amazing power of Jesus. And I think that in these interactions, Mark shows us that there is a critical part of the process of repenting and believing. Remember, that's what Jesus was calling people to do, repent and believe the good news. There's a critical part in the process of repenting and believing that has to do with how we respond to our fears. Mark's given us four episodes to help us to wrestle with that. So let's look at episode one. Got a little bit of an outline so we can see where we're going. Episode one, uh, it's the fearsome storm, right? We rejoin the action just as Jesus has finished teaching his disciples about the power of his word. He is announcing the kingdom of God, that it's come near and he's calling people to repent and believe. And if there are mixed responses to his message, as is becoming apparent, it's not because there are problems with the message, or with the messenger, it's the result of different way, the, the, the different ways that people will receive that word. And then verse 35, our reading opens, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over the other side. And we've read the story where the furious storm hits the lake and it threatens to sink the boat and Jesus shows his incredible power over nature by simply telling the storm to stop. A few weeks ago, the the minis group, the preschool group out at Trinity Kids came across this story in their curriculum and there was this great activity to get their minds engaged with it. God had provided a wonderfully blowy 
windy morning and so the kids were taken outside and invited to shout at the wind to stop, which they got very excited doing and made lots of noise and nothing happened because the wind doesn't listen to them or to you or me. But here we see that Jesus speaks with such authority that even the wind and the waves obey him, which I think is a not-so-subtle reminder that we should listen to him too. And in fact, you might think, and many people do, that think that this story is just so out of this world that it's really just sort of a, it's a moral tale, it's a fantasy. I mean, no one can actually do that, tell the wind and the waves to stop. So this is just sort of, this is part of the invention of the New Testament to make the point. So before we unpack it, I actually want to encourage you that, in fact, this is one of the many points in the Gospel accounts of Jesus that have all of the hallmarks of eyewitness testimony that give us every reason to have confidence in the truth of what we read. This this story has all kinds of elements to it that just give us that encouragement that actually this, this is the recollection of someone who was in the boat with Jesus. For a start, there are a number of details that are just totally irrelevant to the story. Verse 30, 36, we're kind of randomly told that there were other boats with him. We only need to know what happened in this boat, don't we? Verse 38, we read the slightly absurd detail that Jesus is asleep, that's important to the story, on a cushion, who cares what he was sleeping on? You know, they're the kind of irrelevant details that grow our confidence that this is the testimony of someone who was actually there, who mentioned the other boats because they saw them, who mentions the cushion because in the midst of the chaos of the storm, that little you know, red and green paisley pattern was kind of seared upon their memory. And on top of this, This is hardly the kind of story that you make up if you're trying to impress people to come and join this new religious movement that you've started. After all, it's a pretty raw and unflattering picture of the disciples, isn't it? Verse 38, they were terrified of the storm. Verse 41, they're terrified of Jesus. This has all the hallmarks of the eyewitness testimony of someone who was there, recording for us the truth of what happened and the truth of Jesus. So Mark tells us what actually happened, but we also know that he had a purpose in telling us because this is all part of his announcement, chapter 1, verse 1, of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And the point, I think, is very simply made in Jesus' own comments there in verse 40. If you read it there in front of you, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And there Jesus lays it out for us, doesn't he? The contrast between faith and fear. These disciples have seen Jesus' great power. By this point in Mark's Gospel, he's, he's healed countless people in miraculous ways. He's cast out demons with just a word. But for all of the terror of the storm, did you notice what the disciples really feared? Verse 38. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They didn't ask the question, oh, are you powerful enough to help us at this point? They doubted his character. Don't you care if we drown? And then we remember, these are the guys who've seen all the evidence of the compassion of Jesus. He's touched a man with leprosy when no one else would go near him. He's he's healed a man's disabled hand on a Sabbath, even when that meant attracting the anger of the religious leaders. And yet the disciples are full of fear because they still don't really know who Jesus is. At this point, the disciples are still working it out. We see that in verse 41. Who is this? 
Even the wind and the waves obey him. And in not knowing Jesus yet, they are left to their fears. Yes, there's the fear of the furious storm that threatened to drown them, but that's been replaced by a fear of the one who has so much power that he can stop that storm with just a word. But at both points, their fear reflects a lack of faith because they don't trust that Jesus comes in kindness to use his power to give life. If you want a summary statement for what we're thinking through this morning, their fear reflects a lack of faith that Jesus comes in kindness to use his power to give life. And let's be honest, I think in our fears, we wrestle with the same concern. We see things that threaten our well-being and our deep concern is just as much about whether God wants to help us, about whether he can help. And I think that this is a really important connection for us to make. Because the question that the disciples ask is really the baseline fear that has plagued humanity ever since the devil distorted the truth and tempted Adam and Eve into sin. I mean, that was the basic ploy that the devil used right back there in Genesis chapter 3. He came to Adam and Eve. Did God really say, he asked, and he twisted God's word. You will will not certainly die. He lied. And he questioned God's trustworthiness. For God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And in that distortion of the truth, the devil planted the seed of doubt in Adam and Eve's heart that God didn't really have their best interests at hand. That God had other motives that God could not be trusted. And Genesis 3 verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Friends, this is, this is the first case in the history of the world of FOMO, the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out on something that looked so good. And the doubt, the fear that God didn't really care. That became the fear that has formed the root cause of every human sense. The fear that God can't really be trusted to look after you. That God's holding out on you. That God doesn't really care. The disciples asked Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And I think we need to be honest that this episode highlights the core concern that sits under our fears. Now, we, we need to be careful that we don't assume that this episode shows us what, what Jesus will do with our fears. When we read this story carefully, we see that Jesus responded to a lack of faith when he demonstrated his power. He did care. I think the assumption is they weren't going to drown. Jesus didn't have to stand up and calm the storm to save them. He did that to show them that He could be trusted. So it's really important that this does not mean that I can stand here and and tell you that Jesus will calm all your storms, insert whatever we view as our present fearsome storm in life. This passage is not a promise that you can name and claim because this episode is not a promise of what Jesus will do, it's a description of what he has done and Mark is building the picture so that we might have the confidence in the claim that this Jesus really is God come to us as the victorious king 
who will rescue and rule. And in the end, this storm on the lake is trivial compared to the power and the compassion that Jesus shows on the cross, which is what Mark really wants us to see. You see, Jesus does not promise to take away our figurative storms, but he does show us that in the midst of our troubles, we do not need to fear because Jesus comes to us in kindness to use his power to bring life. So the, the disciples, they've still got a ways to go to, in working out who Jesus is. But if they thought that the storm was scary, well, as they rode across the calmer waters to the other side of the lake, the scary stuff was just getting started. We're into episode two. We've gone from fearsome storm to fearsome spirits. Now, sometimes in the Gospels, location and place names matter. So we've got a map up here because this is one of those occasions. Because the action so far has taken place on the west of the Sea of Galilee, where that beautiful artistic yellow scribble is up on the, on the top left of the map. But they've crossed over the, the Sea of Galilee or Lake Galilee, as it's referred to at different points, to the east, to the region of the Gerasenes, where the Red Star is. And that whole green region is referred to as the Decapolis, which is kind of Greek for Deca, ten polis, towns, ten sounds, ten cities. It's, it's a region that is not kind of a Jewish homeland. This is a really diverse, ethnically diverse area that's kind of dominated by a non-Jewish population. So on this eastern coast of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples are out of their comfort zone. They're on a cross-cultural excursion. And then the scene gets really intense, doesn't it? So much worse than my crazy calf chasing me across the paddock. This is a properly scary scenario of of the terror of this demon-possessed man coming, charging at him. I I struggle to imagine what he was like, but apparently naked and buff enough that he could just, he could break the chains that had been trying to bind him. And yet when he comes charging at them, it's not to attack Jesus, but to fall at his knees because the demons knew exactly who he was. Jesus son of the most high God and they knew that he had them beat even though they were an army of demons. Jesus asked them in verse 9, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many and the chill should run down the back of our spine because this man is held in captive by a legion of demons. And at this point, remember that Mark probably writes from the capital city of Rome to the Roman Empire, and so he doesn't need to pause and explain what the word legion means, because everyone in Rome knows that a legion is the largest troop unit in the Roman army, a unit of over 5,000 soldiers, enough to occupy and subdue rebellion in a whole region. There was a legion placed in Judea to keep the peace. Overwhelmed by a terrifying evil, I take it that this man was now pretty terrifying to everyone around him. That's why they tried to bind him, to tie him up. They've exiled him to the tombs. But there's actually something else that scares the locals even more. When the news spreads of what has happened, people come and see, and verse 15 we read, when they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they shouted for joy and celebrated with him at his newfound freedom. No, no. Verse 15, they were afraid. Why? Because for all of the terrifying power of evil in legion, that power has just been dwarfed 
by the power of Jesus. And in their fear of this great power, we see their hardness of heart. Because they didn't celebrate the rescue of this oppressed man, they grieved the loss of their pigs. They feared the impact on their livelihood and their way of life. In verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Jesus demonstrated his power to overcome the thing that they had so greatly feared and yet they feared Jesus even more. They asked him to leave. And I think it's because they feared the impact that he would continue to have on their way of life. And let's be honest, if people only hear about Jesus' power and they don't have eyes to see his compassion, then yes, we will always ask him to leave. Because we share that same basic fear that entered the hearts of Adam and Eve. He doesn't care. He can't really be trusted. And so the locals began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. But not everyone wanted him to leave, did they? Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And here, Mark highlights for us someone who's not only seen Jesus' power, but has actually experienced his incredible compassion, his mercy, his kindness, and he just wants to be with him. But Jesus said no, which might sound harsh to begin with. But in fact, we see that Jesus honours this social outcast with a job to do. Verse 19, go, to, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This is the gospel's first cross-cultural, sorry, the first missionary commissioned by Jesus to go beyond the Jews to the neighbouring Gentiles and proclaim the gospel from his own personal experience. It's a, it's a great summary statement of what it means for us to share the good news too. To go and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Because this man has come to know Jesus' power, how much the Lord has done for him. And he's come to know Jesus' kindness, how he had mercy on him. And and in knowing this Jesus, there is no fear but only a delight to know him more and, and to make him known as the one who's done what no one else could do. He gave this man life. And friends, that then takes us to the final two episodes of Mark chapter 5, where instead of the terror of the fearsome storm or the supernatural experience of fearsome spirits, we see people wrestling with something that we all know day to day, the very down-to-earth fear of our human frailty. We see that fear in Jairus, He's a respected leader of the local synagogue, a man of public standing, and yet he's brought to his knees by his daughter's impending death. While many of his peers were plotting Jesus' death, we read about that just last week, Jairus is begging for his help, so Jesus went with him. But then in the midst of this very public display of faith shown by Jairus, something very private takes place. Because on the way to Jairus' house, we meet a woman who society didn't even notice, one of the invisible people. If they'd feared Legion because he was wild, they respected Jairus because well, he was stable, they didn't even notice this woman. 
Under Jewish law, her prolonged bleeding meant that she was unclean. She shouldn't have even been out in public. So she sneaks her way through the crowd for even just a touch of his clothes. But she is so overwhelmed by her sense of shame that when Jesus calls her out, how does she feel? She comes to his feet trembling in fear. Now we could get caught up in all the questions about kind of superstition and magic. What is it with just touching his clothes and the power going out? But Jesus explains it very clearly for us. This woman has demonstrated faith in him. Not just some empty superstition. And by her faith, she's been healed. And then we see the wonderful compassion of Jesus, who with a single word shows her such incredible kindness. Daughter. Daughter. It's a term of such familiarity and tenderness. It is so evident that this woman is terrified of being seen out in public. And we can imagine all kinds of reasons for her, for her shame. But on his way to heal the precious daughter of the respected Jairus, Jesus honours this invisible woman in the sight of the crowd. Daughter. I don't think there are too many more powerful expressions of Jesus' compassion. The reminder that you never need to fear being invisible to Jesus. Regardless of how other people see you, this woman feared being seen by them. But the one she put her faith in has truly seen her with compassion and a power that brings life. But of course we read what followed on. Yeah, she was so helpful in that. We, we see there's a sting in the tail, isn't there? Because this life-giving delay, that's cost Jairus dearly. In verse 35, a messenger comes to tell him the tragic news. His daughter, who was so desperately ill, is now dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. I mean, what did Jairus have to fear? Well, that the report was true, of course, that his daughter had died, that her death was the end, that he would never hear her voice again or hold her hand again or see her blossom into adulthood or, and thrive in the community and be a blessing to so many people and, and to set grandchildren in his arms and to care for him in his old age and to carry on his memory when, she, when he had God. What, what did Jairus have to fear? Kind of everything. It was all so reasonable, so understandable that he would fear. Don't be afraid, just believe. So what did Jairus need to believe? That Jesus had the power to overcome those fears. That Jesus had the compassion to use his power to bring life. At the core of it, Jairus needed to believe that Jesus cared and that he could do something about it. And Mark gives us so much detail that we can unpack to just see the beauty of Jesus' humble, compassionate, awesome power as he brings this little girl back to life, as if the shackles of death, they were just, they were just nothing more than sleep to him. But I think Mark's told us what we need to hear, because it's the invitation for us all. Don't be afraid, just believe. It's not just believe as if that's an easy thing. It's only believe because that's the one thing. 
to trust that Jesus not only has the power to bring life, but that he cares, that he has the kindness and the compassion and he will do it. And this is Jesus' invitation for anxious people like you and me. I know something of what it is to feel anxious. I know what it's like to wake up to the sound of the alarm clock and the first thing I feel for the day is the rapid increase of my heart rate before my mind has even really surfaced. But there was a period where that became such an entrenched daily experience for me that I knew something had to change. And it wasn't just that I needed to sort out my time management or deal with conflict or come to terms with my own inadequacy. I actually needed to let God remind me of the joy of knowing Jesus, strong and kind. So for about three straight months, I read through the book of Philippians on repeat. And sometimes it was just a few verses a day. And sometimes they were the same verses I read yesterday because that was all I could handle. At other points, it was sitting down over a cup of tea after dinner and just reading the whole thing start to finish because I was hungry for those words. To know the one who humbled himself even to death on a cross that whatever were gains to me, I could consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ, to not be anxious, but to pray with thanksgiving that the peace of God that surpasses understanding would guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, to rejoice in the Lord always. Let be clear, it's not that God took the metaphorical storm away from my life. <laughs> I still had to deal with my time management <laughs> and, and conflict in relationships and my pride. But I knew that the one who had the power to calm the storm and to raise the dead was with me and that he cared. That in the face of my fears, he could be trusted, not merely, dare I say merely, because of Mark chapter 5, but because of Mark chapter 15. Don't be afraid, just believe. And in the face of your fears... Know that he cares. Know that he is the victorious son of God, come in power and compassion to give life. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we give you such great thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been so kind to, to draw back the curtains and to show us his awesome power. that he can calm a storm with a word, that he can dismiss an army of demons like naughty schoolboys, that he can raise the dead as if rousing them from sleep. But Father, we know our heart's concern is actually not only about your power but about your compassion and so we thank you that you have just laid out before us again and again and again the great kindness of the one who ultimately came to lay down his life for us. And so we pray that in the midst of our fears, you'd help us not to harden our hearts, but to open them to him, to lay that fear before him, to ask him to teach us that he has overcome, that he is with us, and that he will bring us to life. So Father, we pray that whether they or the small, slow burn anxieties of life that might even be spinning through our minds even this morning, or perhaps it's the terrifying event that lies before us in the week to come that we are as yet unaware of. 
We pray that we would hear Jesus' voices, voice ringing in our ear. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And we pray this in his name. Amen.